my, it was like, you know, practically on the same group as when we were doing dare, you know, mm-hmm, do y'all mm-hmm. have dare? Of course. I learned nothing. Uh, no one learned anything from dare, mad, just say no, whatever. They were wholly ineffective. A, I was a good Catholic boy, so it did work on me, but it wasn't because of dare. It was more of the indoct- religious indoctrination. <laughs> dare, you did not win him. But we're here to talk about values, not Let's my prior religious trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to No Clear Answers, where we explore the common challenges all humans, creators, and leaders face and break down preconceived notions of common self-help ideas. We are your hosts. I'm Ricky Goldenberg. I'm Corey Wilkes. And I am Justin Mulvaney. And um, we also have a special guest host here this time. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get him on camera. You can hear him, but I have my big fat gray cat Humphrey here on my lap who may have... So happy he's here. He may have some input for us as we talk about today's topic, values. You got a good one? This is one of our favorite conversations. We've all had many, many talks about this. This will actually be a two-parter. So today we're going to talk about values. In our next session, we want to talk about a near closely related sibling purpose. Uh, But today we're talking values. Values, what are they? Why do they matter? How can we identify them, use them to be better creators, performers, leaders, Things like values-based decision-making, how to use values to move through life and your career. Uh, and also, are there any pitfalls of being overly value-oriented? I always like asking that question. Uh, I figure to start, we, we do have a licensed clinical psychologist as what? one of our hosts. Where did we get that? Insane. And this is how we're official. Yeah. So, Corey, <laughs> do you want to educate us all? What are – what the – our values. <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> everybody sit down, sit down and shut up. There are a lot of different ways of kind of looking at values. So actually when I was in grad school, we actually didn't learn much about values. <laughs> um, there is one school of thought called act, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. They touch on values and <clears throat> you know, going back with the therapy world act is usually something that a, a clinician would use for my understanding. So this is all my understanding is <clears throat> act is great for when there is a circumstance in your life, you can't necessarily exert control over. So you can't change the thing, but you can change how you think about the thing. You can change your relationship to the thing. Okay. So, and I'll, we can talk about, how to adapt this with coaching, but originally. So let's say you have something like chronic pain, right? That, that's super common for, for act as an intervention. And basically it would go something like this, where you have chronic pain, doctors can't figure out what's going on or they can, but they can't fix it, whatever. So it's like, okay, how can you, despite your pain, continue to live a meaningful, fulfilling life? Right. And by, and you do that 
not by trying to fight your pain and, and rail against it and bemoan it so much as you say, okay, what do I truly value? What is truly important to me? And how can I mold my life around that and learn to develop a, a more accepting relationship with my chronic pain and just sort of carry it with me through life? But I'm building my life around my values, not my pain. Right. And that same thing can go for basically any sort of, you know, diagnosis, right? Again, this is a coaching podcast, but that can go with anything you, you may be struggling with that you may not be able to change necessarily. Okay. So that, that's where it comes in from like the clinical psychology route. <clears throat> um, because a lot of people tend to build their lives around their, their quote unquote shortcomings, and they, they basically cap themselves. They say, this is my ceiling. I can't do anything beyond this because of X thing, right? Because of my pain, my ADHD, everybody nowadays had ADHD is like part of their fucking identity. That can totally be a separate thing because there are ADHD coaches, right? We could totally talk about that another day. Soapbox but, warning, soapbox warning. Soapbox warning. I'm, like, I'm like, are you on it already? 1000%. That's a fucking soapbox warning. I was like, I'm ready. I can, see, I can see you. I can see you pulling it out, getting ready. Right. But a lot of people tend to build their lives around their obstacles rather than build it around their values. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is what ACT sort of tries to, to help people with. In the coaching world, <clears throat> whether it is creators, careers, leaders, whatever, getting clearer on your values and, and basically, you know, how, how do we define a value, right? That's sort of what we're trying to figure out at first. To me, an operational definition of a value is something that takes top priority and is something that in its absence causes problems, right? So for example, I value freedom. Freedom is something, and we get into this more later, but freedom is something that is a core value for me, meaning when I align my actions with giving me more freedom or I align my actions with building a life that has more freedom, that is, is intrinsically rewarding and motivating for me. That is something that I'm like, oh, I'm fully aligned. This is the direction I want to take. When I make decisions that are counter to that value, I tend to basically create more problems, right? It, it causes cognitive dissonance. It's I'm saying... I believe one thing, but my actions are taking me the opposite direction. And then I, I experience conflict, right? Within myself and with other people, right? Um, that's sort of how I see what, what a value is. is just, it's, it is what is most important to you that you want to embody and build your life aligned with. Yeah. Over here, I've always understood values to be something that you view as important simply for its own sake. Like mm -hmm. if somebody asks you why, you value it as being important. You can kind of come up with a reason, but the real answer is because I just feel that way. I just believe to me, this thing simply is important. It's like an inherent truth. Yes. It's an inherent truth that we hold. Exactly. Yeah. I think the only thing, and I'm curious for the two of you that I'm so, so in the thing I'm curious for the two of you is that I also feel pretty strongly that there's that first of all, we can have more than one value, right? Like we're not just going to have a singular value, which I think is important to note. 
I think sometimes we have different values applied to different areas within our lives. We're going to have some internal inherent truths like freedom might be overarching in terms of everything you do, but the way it shows up might look different. It's basically a way to live an aligned life. I think that the other thing that I usually think about with values is that it, um, it changes over time, which I think is actually okay. Like I think some don't, I think there are some that are kind of more stagnant and they stay with you. Like freedom might be one that for you is forever and others sort of come in like these secondary values come in and out. But I think that they do change over time because I feel like our values, for example, my values when I was 22 do not match my values when I'm 36. There's some that are similar. We're going to have some that are similar, but ultimately I think that's one of the other things that I kind of sometimes get caught up in, in values that I feel like sometimes we talk about them as since they're inherent truths that they're like never going to change and we're never going to change, which Yo, if I had to live my entire life as a 22-year-old, I would just be a fucking asshole all the time. Um, You do not – 22-year-old Ricky was like such a little shit. So of course my values have shifted and changed over the years. And so there's still going to be ones that are aligned, but there's going to be definitely ones that have shifted. And I feel like that's the thing that I I do think is really important to – Yeah, so one of the – Yeah, so we have a definition of a value, which is something we value – we think is important for its own sake. I almost said a value is something that we value. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and Ricky, you're pointing to one of the characteristics is these values are fluid. They may change depending on the context of your life. And they may also change over time as you evolve as a person and as the world evolves. They're, so they're not, they're not like biblical absolute truths that are etched in stone forever. No. no. I do think that there are ones that can carry you for quite some time and then eventually need to be sometimes investigated depending on how that value is coming to life and impacting your life and those around you. Right. Like Corey, can I take, can I take your value like really to the, to the limit here, which is let's say your value is freedom. And when we think about freedom, it's like, I can do whatever I want, whatever I want. It's like anarchy. Like, Oh, that's taking a value quite far. And it's like also going to impact your relationships with your significant others and your friends and your family and freedom from everything. Whereas what freedom might actually look like is independence, security, ability to make your own decisions, like an, a lack of codependence or interdependence in our partners, right? So it's like it's also the interpretation of the of the values. What I think about too. Yeah, I'd love to actually hear before we even talk about working with other people about this mm. stories from our own lives and journeys of if you all have any stories of how values have been of particularly of use for you or moments, transitionary periods, whenever, when you found, Hey, using values, identifying values, living by values has been particularly transformative for me. So a quick preface, right. And, and when one way that I differ from a lot of psychologists and coaches in this regard, I tend to approach values. I try to, to clarify a core value. Right. So Ricky can talk about like not a singular value. Well, right. for me, I like the idea of clarifying a core value because if you, in my mind, if you do that well enough, that core value encompasses a lot of other things. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we can get more to that, you know, if you want later, but like I said, for me, my core value, which is the, the central thing that a life well lived for me must be built around. Okay. For me, that is freedom, both freedom to do certain things and freedom from doing other things. Right. And, and that even goes into that even extends because at the, at the bottom of it, I think every value, every true value is 
inherently selfless in nature. Because for me, obviously, so like freedom is like, yeah, I want to have a fuck ton of money, be able to travel and wear pajama pants all the time and never have to ever wear khakis again, right? I fucking burn my khakis and shit, right? Like, yes, that is the selfish level of it, right? Mm -hmm. And then it extends beyond like, okay, well, I want to be able to give freedom to my loved ones to be able to make sure they don't have to, they don't want for anything, right? But then there's a level below that of the reason I coach, the reason I create content and courses and everything else that I do because, and the reason I say I help, you know, creators reach your potential and other shit is I want other people to build their own lives of freedom and achieve their own version of freedom. Okay. So there are levels to this. And that is for me, what distinguishes a core value from just something you really like. Like I really like money. Money is a value for me. No, it fucking isn't. Well, I value money. That doesn't make it a fucking value. It's just some shit you like. Okay. So that is, so let me, so that's the caveat, right? With that caveat, <clears throat> my core value is freedom. Shortly after I decided to permanently leave the therapy world, right, um, I got a job offer from a, a larger company to come back and do therapy. And it was for more money than I was making before. It was, you know, six figures, which for therapy is, is a lot of money. Um, and I was like, oh, this is really good money. I'm pretty fucking strapped for cash right now because I just was fired a couple months ago. Couldn't find another job. Trying to figure out this entrepreneur thing. Six figures would be sweet. But then I asked myself, <clears throat> does this decision get me one step closer to or one step further away from a life aligned with my core value of freedom? And it was like, well, despite the money, that is working 40 to 60 hours doing something I fucking hate, all drowning in bureaucracy. That's 40 to 60 hours. I can't build my own thing that is much more fulfilling. And long term, I don't want to do therapy anymore. So despite the money, that question helped me clarify which decision was the right decision for me at that time. So that for me is why I really like the core value idea because in my experience, trying to have like a value for like the eight domains of, you know, health, wealth, love, happiness, fucking sexuality, like all those other things. Like that's just, I can't keep track of that shit in my head, but I'm like fucking freedom. Now there are different versions of freedom. There are different, you know, ways you can apply freedom. But for me, it's always, does this idea, this opportunity, this, this goal get me one step closer to or further away from a life aligned with my core value of freedom? And that's the question I ask myself all the time. Beautiful. Ricky, it is beautiful. Ricky, do you have any examples from your world? I life? think that I'm trying to think if there's, if there's like unique moments, but I do think that, so I don't have a, I don't have a specific core value. I'm not in trouble. Right. I have like a few that <laughs> Corey's laughing at me. I have Corey, a few. Corey will speak to you after we're done recording. I know I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> But one of, one of my values is, um, curiosity, like the desire to learn, but with a playful nature around it. And in many ways, that's how I work through my business. It's why I love working with folks one-on-one -on -one because there's a lot just to uncover with very little judgment. But I think the biggest, oh, the, the biggest way it plays out is with my kid. Because I have a toddler, right? She's just turned three. She's mayhem. And toddlers are freaking crazy. They have all kinds of crazy, awesome, cool ideas. 
And our first response is no. Our first response as humans is like, be compliant. That's like a good kid. A good kid is compliant. And she, in fact, has all kinds of great ideas. And I've noticed that my value really comes in to alignment with her because I have a lot of curiosity. Like there's, a, for example, this weekend, she was like, I want to wear this and this and this, and I'm going to be a rainbow unicorn. And my favorite color is pink and red. She's so girly. And I was like, I mean, that outfit is absolute trash, but like, why not? Like, what are the rules? Do you know what I mean? It's like girlfriend, girlfriend looked fucking fire everywhere she went all weekend. And if you come from a different direction, it's, it's more like, oftentimes I think of the opposite of curiosity as being like control. Like I think of curiosity as being very open. It's really around trying new things, learning new things, constantly trying to adapt and take in new information that applies with the work that I do with my, with my leaders, my folks who are going through transition. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of play and there's a lot of joy. And it shows up with both the people that I work with and with my three-year-old when she has like an insane idea and you're sort of like, well, why not? And it's so fun. And I'll, I'll send you guys a photo afterwards of what she wore to the library this week. It was dumb. Please. I also, Ricky, hear a value of not only curiosity, but expression Mm. in the story that you shared there. Right. A hundred percent. I feel like my, my main value is usually around like curiosity, maybe a little bit of expression, um, and like a lot of joy and connection, which is probably what I do what the fuck I do. Like (laughs) connection is one in work connection is one of the things. And like in my relationships, connection is like one of my deep seated values in terms of building and creating space to deeply connect with others. So those combined is probably why I coach. Yeah. See, I, I interpret that. And again, like core value is just my shit, right? That doesn't have to work for anybody else. I interpret that as the freedom to explore the freedom to dress however the fuck you want, the freedom to raise your kids on your fucking terms. Right. So like, it's the same shit. We just, we're all, (laughs) we're just, yeah, we're all interpreting shit differently. And that's the beauty of the shit. Corey, I love your core value is so strong that you're like, my core value applies to you and your core value. My core value is a black hole that will consume everything. But I exactly. also, okay, so that's actually, Justin, I want to hear your story, but I just want to stop here, which is like quick, quick plug, which is this kind of why I fucking love values. Because like it, it can be, it doesn't have to be so tight. It's more like directional. Oftentimes when I think about values, like Corey, the fact that you use it as a decision-making tool is so helpful. And also I think you talked, I have a note, which was talking about how basically when you live without it, with your values out of priority, it like causes problems, all these things. It's like, there's, you feel big conflict. And oftentimes it's because you're out of alignment with your values. If you, if honesty is something that's super important to you and the workplace that you're working in is filled with lies it's going to be a shit show for you and you can like recognize it really quickly. So I just, I love that values are like very directional. Oh, I have a lot of feelings towards values and they're all positive. Justin, I want to hear about your values and how they guide you. Uh, I have two stories. Let's do it. The first is piggybacking off of something you said, Ricky, which is you landed on the end there. Hey, I have these values and Oh, look, this happens to perfectly aligned with this career choice that I've made. And I think one of the more powerful things for values is values for guiding macro decisions. And what can specifically be really useful, and I have a story around this, is understanding how your values differentiate you from other people. 
And so the story I have, Ricky and Corey, you both have heard this story before, was freshman year of college, went in as a biochemistry major, quickly realized, nope, this is not what I want to do. I would not want to be a PhD in a lab. They did this beautiful thing where they, like three weeks in, they spent like two lectures just making us watch a video that's like, literally the video is like the struggles of a biochemistry PhD. They like were actively trying to sell us out of this and it fucking worked. <laughs> and at the time I was at Rochester Institute of Technology, which is a pri an expensive private institution. And if you go undecided, they panic and they put you into a course that basically forces you to get into another major. And that tries to help you discover that because if you don't find a major here's my story. You'll probably leave and they lose your tuition, which is not what they want. So one of the exercises we did in that course was a values identification exercise. And if anybody is saying, cool, I want to identify my values. This is a classic way to do it. It's super useful. Um, normally you take a list of somewhere around 50 values. We all have these lists. You can also buy these cool decks of cards online. If you just look for like value sort deck um, that let you be tactile with it. And I was doing this with like 10 other freshman students who were undecided. And they have you put out this list of 50 values. And they say, cool, so you have 50 values in front of you. Usually it's an arbitrary number, but they say something like, I want you to have it. What are the 25 things here that you value? And you go, and usually that's pretty easy. And you're like, okay, cool. And then they go, now get it down to 10. That's a little bit harder. You have to start making trade-offs, right? You're starting to determine what do you really value. Because this is the beauty of values-based decision-making. Oftentimes you go, well, I want it all. And life doesn't give you that. And what values help you do is go, well, what do I really care about when I have to make decisions? And then they made us go down to five, and then three, and then one. So everybody has one value card around them. And I think there, there's probably like eight to 10 people doing this. Uh, and they went around the circle. And I can't remember if I was last, but I was near last. We're going to say I'm last for the dramatic effect of this fucking story. And I'll never forget everyone in the room. I hit my core value and I was like, duh, this will be everybody's core value. This is, it's so simple. And everybody around the rooms and they flip and they go security, 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 five, six, seven, eight, nine times. And then I flip mine. And I believe the wording of mine, very similar to Corey's, was independence. <laughs> and nine people are looking at me like, what the fuck? And I'm looking at them like, what the fuck? <laughs> and the beauty of this story is in that moment, you know, up until that point, I suddenly could point to something that I had felt between me and a lot of other people that were at that university and also for a lot of my university track and career track pre-coaching, which was a lot of these people were primarily optimizing for what's going to help me make, have a stable career and a stable income post-college. And what independence at that time meant for me was I want the freedom to express what I want to express. I want the freedom to do what I want to do. I don't want to be chained down. And when you're talking to two, a friend or somebody else about making a decision and your top values are something as conflicted as security versus freedom, the way they're thinking about things it just feels alien. It's like, what? Why, why are you making that? And it'll feel the same to them. And it's just, it, it has helped me a lot during my journey. And even now coming to coaching, when people look at me like I'm an alien or like, you want to be a coach? What does that mean? As I was making that transition, it was like, oh, this is actually fine. They just value something very different than I do.
And so that can play a role in both helping you find your macro direction and I'll earmark this for later. I've seen this when I've worked with leadership teams or teams in conflict who have a hard time understanding each other. Clarifying values and can be a really powerful tool for generating understanding and shifting conflict over to really like a powerful force. I've also, you made me think of this. Also, I love the the vision of the 10 of you like shoved into a classroom of like the undecided. They're like, we got to figure those fuckers out. Um, it was literally I have bad. like a vision of it. It's like in like a room that's like kind of fluorescent lighting and like not as comfortable with like a broken chair. Don't correct me. That's the vision. It I have felt it. that way. It certainly Doesn't felt it? that way sometimes. You're like to my the other land classes. of forgotten toys. Yeah. Um, but something that you reminded me of too is like when you think about within a leadership team, how powerful value value understanding is. I also think about it. This happened recently. I was doing basically that values exercise. Like every coach has like a values exercise. Mine is deeply stolen from Corey. He knows. <laughs> um, but I was, <laughs> he's got a good one. So I was doing that values exercise and it was really interesting because there was someone in the group who basically discovered that they had two unique values that were at odds with each other. The two values are within odds with each other. And it's like just being able to recognize that you're talking about within a leadership team. I'm talking about within self. Like, for example, if your two values, which they could be, are security and independence, those are sometimes really going to be at odds. And there's and there's sometimes that they work together. But I remember I had someone in the group that their two values were like family, like connection and community within family, and then prestige and power within work. And I was like, that's going to be hard on a day in, day out basis if you're, if you're trying to get so much done with work and you want power, but you also want time with your family. It's like, that's why you feel like you're at odds and it's recognizing that in yourself. And then you can actually do some work with it. I, you know, a lot of times with it comes like a lot eh, common theme is really around self-awareness. And I feel like values work is a very powerful tool to sort of connect with your internal self and self-awareness and use it in guiding. I have two things. One, completely agree, Ricky. I think we, I've used this model before, the adult developmental stages of mind before. Self-value definition can be an important step of shifting from a socialized mind, where you have inherited the implicit social values of your culture, into a self-authored set of values that are, this is how I want to move through the world. This is what I want to be creating. Mm-hmm. And two, I really would love to detour. And Corey, I know you had something to say, so if it conflicts, let me know. But um, one thing that I thought of before, Corey, when you were talking about this is, yeah, what do we do when values conflict? What do we do when, and this Corey's going to say, you just choose your core value. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's freedom. But this can realistically happen where some top values are in conflict. I do know I've worked with clients, successful CEOs, who their top values are wealth and family. And when you're building a startup that demands a lot of your time, it's like, how do I sometimes make decisions across those values? Corey is smiling. What do you got for us, Corey? So this is basically the direction I was going to go anyway. Um, <clears throat> so again, from my framework of a core value, right? Not for everybody. But I frequently, when I do like a version of this clarifying exercise, people a lot of times will get down to like their top three values. And then they're like, fuck, I can't, you know, whittle it down anymore. You can. But at this point, we have to really dig into each of them, right? I call it the why shovel technique because you just ask why multiple times. It is similar to the five whys. The difference for me is for some people it is three, for some it is 12, right? But it's basically like, why do you value 
family? Why do you value prestige at work? Why do you value, you know, money, right? Well, I value prestige at work because that gives me job security. Why do you value job security? Like, why do you care about that? Oh, because that allows me to provide for my family. Well, then we went right back to family, right? Mm -hmm. Other times it'll take 15, 20, however many, right? But there is typically a core, a root rationale, right? And this, it may not actually be, but it, it is my understanding of first principles reasoning, right? Because a lot of us... <clears throat> have, we're carrying around inherited values, either because our upbringing told us these are things that we're supposed to care about, right? I know a lot of people who are children of immigrants really struggle with that because like security and like, you know, job shit is like everything, right? Like, so it's really hard for them to go off and, and do the creator thing or the entrepreneur thing because there is so little security, especially early on, that there's a huge amount of conflict, right? Because they're like, well, I, I should want this. I should care about this, right? But if you, and that's when I, I do say that in that case, your values are bullshit, right? I haven't said that this episode, but if they're inherited values, they are bullshit. Now, yeah. you can start off with inherited values, do this, you know, why shovel, you know, clarifying exercise and come right back to the same ones. But at that point, they're not bullshit because you own them. You have chosen these as your values because you have decided, despite what society says, what your parents says, what your, you know, your religion says or your boss, whatever, despite all of that, you have come to that conclusion on your own, right? So that a lot of times I think is why people tend to put something like security or prestige or these other extrinsic things. They tend to claim that those are values when they're not actually, they are a a means to an end to help you prioritize your value, right? Security, money, whatever allows you to better take care of your family. But in inherently the core value in my framework for you could be family because every decision you make revolves around your family, not prestige or wealth or something else, right? And the other thing that I see a lot of times, especially when people get down to two that seem to contradict, typically either one is actually more important than the other, or more often there is a third that connects the two, right? So like, you know, I, I've worked with people before where they really valued challenging themselves, but also comfort and security. So it's just like, well, these are diametrically opposed because in order to challenge myself, I have to be uncomfortable. And in order to be comfortable, I can't challenge myself, right? And through this sort of why shovel technique, we, we dug down and down until eventually they realized, and this isn't a plug for my own freedom shit, but they realized that their core value was also freedom. They wanted the freedom to challenge themselves in certain areas, but then the freedom to actually enjoy the spoils of, of their work ethic in other areas, Right. So that's how it's played out in my experience. I think there's something so important there, Corey, which is however you choose, if you're doing a value identification practice, however you choose it, Corey has amazing resources that will capture this for you. But if you want to rip it out quick with like a value sort deck or list or something, take the time to do two things. Uh, one, ask why. Really clarify mm -hmm. in because part of the beauty of a value sort is you're not um, creating values. You're uncovering parts of yourself. 
right? So it's really a tool to learn about yourself. And I find the more you ask why, Corey's why shovel method, the more of yourself you uncover and the more of these, these underlying beautiful root system of the values that you find, which is what really helps you understand yourself and make decisions. And two, especially if you're using one of these value sort or value list things, let yourself massage the words that they use. Every one of them is picking words. And mm -hmm. notice that if a word is partially capturing it, but not exactly capturing it, exactly capturing it, pause and let yourself go, what is the word that captures exactly what I'm looking for? And what I find is the more you dance between why, 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 and what's exactly the word, you'll start to capture a lot of what Corey has said and avoid the pitfalls of, oh, it's actually a third thing or it's something else. Yeah. So like, it, like, for example, it could be freedom, independence, or autonomy are all kind of synonymous, but it depends on which one feels right for you and you putting your own definition to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And one more addendum to this, that is the most common question I, or the most common, you know, issue people have with, with this idea of asking why they say, okay, Corey, but then it just becomes this fucking never ending cycle of why, 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 right? I know psychologists who literally are like, I never ask why in session because why is a trash fucking question? I wholeheartedly disagree. It's just, they fuck it up. <clears throat> the way you, you know, when you got to the bottom of this specifically when we're talking about core value shit, but this why shovel technique can, can work to get to the bottom of basically anything you're trying to figure out. Right. But with the, with the, the core value thing, you know, you've hit the bottom when you can no longer point to an authority figure or somebody else and say, well, I believe this because they said it is right to believe. Right. Why do you care about this? Well, because, you know, my church said so. No. And you just, you go down and down and down. If you cannot point to an outside thing as to the reason why you believe that is, in my case, your core value, that is probably now you've hit the bottom and you're no longer just blindly accepting an inherited value. Mm. So that is one way to get to the bottom and know you're not just constantly this never ending cycle of asking why, because that can happen if you don't know when to stop. I think there's also, I love that, Corey. I was really ready to get you out of soapbox when you're talking about <laughs> not wanting to say why. I was like, Justin was looking like he's ready too. Um, there's like an element there that I like, which is like, it's not because they say so, it's because I say so. We're getting mm -hmm. clear to those inherent truths. And I think that there's something about this that I that I also want to highlight, which is um, that's why part of this is so difficult, actually. Like most of us are living in the socializing self we might have transitioned slightly into authoring self, but like most of us, like we really are a product of how we've been raised and their cultural values and religious beliefs. And, and so I actually do think it's really difficult to take that time to get to that level of why. And that's part of the reason why it feels like a never ending question and a never ending cycle is because you have to go through so many freaking layers and try to get to like the true self. And even when you get to like te technically quote unquote, the true self, it's like that true self is still influenced by, race, religion, capitalism, patriarchy, all that bullshit. And so it is really difficult to find that and then also activate it. And it's constantly evolving. Like we 100%. as people are constantly evolving. That's why psychology is such a soft science because mm -hmm. shit changes all the fucking time because people change all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one other point I want to make on this is in my experience, when values appear to conflict, 
we can call that, this is another term all of us have spoken about, it's a false dichotomy is often what's happening. My experience, it's Mm. very rare that we're hitting a decision point where two values are in reality diametrically opposed. More often than not, right, it's our perception, the way we're seeing and currently framing the issue that makes them seem diametrically opposed. And this is uh, Katie Hendricks of the Hendricks Institute has a quote where she says, our job as humans is to hold polarity. Right. And so this is one of the parts where it gets messy to be human, right, is, oh, these two things, they appear to be in a polar relationship to each other. They appear to be opposite. But can we resolve that? Right. And it's very rare where an actual situation is presenting and saying, I can either have wealth or or value my family. I can only value one of those. And so one question I would invite you into, it's very simple, is, okay, sure, when a situation is presenting as an or between two values, I can have security or freedom. It's to just very simply ask yourself, what's the pathway by which I can have security and freedom? Mm-hmm. And don't look for the right answer, but notice that, oh, holy shit, there's a whole bunch of different pathways in and land that I couldn't see before when I was in Orland. I think it's also toying a lot with, um, with the, with the concept of balance. Like there's like this buzzword there, which is, there's this idea that these like two pull, like polar opposites are, they're fighting against each other. And oftentimes they really work well together. Like the individual that was focused on success and power and prestige and also family, which obviously is a group setting. You can't get necessarily to the level of core depth. But at the end of the day, like that could be fine. You could be Monday through Friday, all fucking power and Saturday and Sunday, all family. Or you could be like, no, I'm in power right now. Or like I'm coming towards family now. It's like they, they can also be rather than in conflict they can go hand in hand as long as you're taking time to explore it and think about it and toy with it. Beautiful. I want to so tell just, my, um, yeah, 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 Corey, we're going to say, yeah. well, you can table this and talk about it here in a minute, but I would just, just for you, I'm curious, cause we're talking about, you know, intrapersonal values, right? Like within the individual, but I'm curious in your experience working with, with leaders and, and, you know, teams sometimes, how have you navigated or how would you navigate if two leaders seem to have different values? That is the cause of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go this way. And then we can come back to where I was later. Um, yeah, I get chills thinking about this because there's, there's so much, power in using these tools. So oftentimes people aren't actually thinking on this level, right? They just know we're in conflict. We're in conflict. He doesn't understand me. She doesn't understand me. We, they, they don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not hearing. Well, very few will say I'm not hearing what they're saying. They'll say, no, I hear them, but they're not hearing me. And one very simple tactic is to just take an entire group through. So let's say there's five people on a leadership team. We take the entire group together simultaneously through this value sort for themselves personally. We start with 25, we get down to 10, we get down to five. And maybe at five, we say, cool, why don't you read to each other the five values you have? They start to notice some overlap, they notice some differences and they go, "Hmm, okay, that you kind of, that kind of makes sense to me. That doesn't. And then eventually we have them sort all the way down to just the one. We have everyone share the one value, right? 
And now what everybody's seeing, right, is, ooh, that same moment that I had, we're collectively having as a team, right? Which is, oh, this is the primary thing I value when I come to work. And generally, there's an assumption. It's the assumption that I had, which is, of course, everybody else has the same core value. You'd be insane not to. Everybody kind of has the aha moment of, wow, you, wow you're, you're crazy, right? Like you're, maybe your head of sales is coming in and they really are valuing prestige, right? They value prestige and they want to get the big deal. They want to close the deal versus maybe you have a CTO, I'm choosing very stereotypical things, who values stability. And the CTO is like, you're crazy. How could we function if you don't value stability? And the head of sales goes, you're crazy. How could we function if we didn't value prestige? So we just get a little bit, of, we get a moment first to kind of just sit in that awareness. And then normally I like to do two things. I like to have the team first and foremost go around with everybody and actually say, how do you see this value at play for this person in work in a way that you really appreciate? Because oftentimes if teams are mired in conflict, they, they're not even seeing the ways that the other's values are really beneficial. And so the head of sales might go, oh, wow, I never even thought about the fact of how stable our product was. I never even stopped to think about it. And I really appreciate the fact that when I sell, I never even have to worry about stability. And so now suddenly, instead of going, you indexing across this value, this way you think is so negative, I can go, wow, I was actually blind to the way that this was beneficial. And I have everybody do that with each other. And, and now that's happening. The same thing. The CTO goes, wow, you being oriented towards prestige is what brings in money so I can keep doing my job and building a stable platform. And so suddenly now, as opposed to being opposed to each other, we're starting to create some harmony of these values. And then next, of course, oftentimes when we over-optimize across our values, there is something lost. And so I may have a team give some feedback, which is cool. So when you see each other's values, what are some areas of opportunity you see in the other person? What are the growth areas? And I might actually have everybody do that with themselves first. I might say, how, where do you see your own growth area? And the CTO go, may go, oh, yes, I can see how sometimes I over-optimize for stability to the point where I'm not willing to take risks. And the head of sales may go, sometimes I get so oriented on prestige, I just am pushing the team really hard and I'm not actually listening for them. And I have them give each other some feedback and suddenly now we're in a much deeper context with each other. Where instead of conflicts, we're in, hey, there's a set of values, there's a set of strengths they really bring, there's a set of weaknesses, opportunities that they really bring. And then in this deeper context, we go, cool, how do we want to change some structures, some ways of relating, build some habits into the organization, such that rather than having these things be in conflict, again, going from an or, they're in an ant. So everybody is raising each other up. So instead of it's like we can have stability or prestige, it's, well, we can have stability and prestige at a 10 out of 10. And now suddenly, instead of all the leadership team being at their values at like a 6 out of 10 and being in conflict, we can try and collectively bring all of those up at a 10 out of 10. And there's some other work that we can do to try and identify some global leadership values. That's also a valuable thing. But that's my first layer, which is I actually want to bring each of the individuals into their full expression and bring all of them into harmony there. And then maybe afterwards, find an umbrella of values that the whole team wants to wear. I love that. That's so beautiful. I love it because I feel like so often I want, I want, I want everyone to have Justin come into all of their teams and to do this for them because 
we've had the, you've had the experience of that you're working with a difficult person, right? And you're telling, you're telling yourself a lot of stories about that individual and what you think they're doing and how they're acting. And there's a lot of, you know, aggression that maybe would work to level some acceptance commitment therapy around it because we cannot change that person. Uh, call that Corey. Uh, but oftentimes it's really just because we're, we don't really understand that person deeply, right? Oftentimes it, it turns into a political game when really it's a human connection opportunity here, which is I've worked with plenty of people who probably were just driven from a different value system than I was. I mean, it probably explains why McKinsey was not a good fit for me, but at the end of the day, it's like, if you actually understand someone's value system and you have an opportunity to have that discussion, you can start to figure out where are they making decisions from, right? I think Justin, you were talking about this at the very beginning of the conversation when you like have a friend that you're talking to and they're like coming from this place and you're like, what are you crazy? What, how are you going through the world like this with the security mindset? I want independence. And so when it comes into the workplace, we don't often have the opportunity to have that type of discussion collectively. We usually avoid it. Some of us are doing it on our own, but having an opportunity to bring that within the organization and have each individual be able to recognize, be aware, and share their value system. That's probably why McKinsey makes you do Byers Myers Briggs before you start. And you're like, this is not helpful. But you know, they do. We can even see it at play on like our team as this podcast, right? It's like mm-hmm. when if I if we understand each other and understand how we make decisions, we can trust and understand and predict better each other's behavior, right? So for example, I know we clearly, we all know Corey's core value is freedom. That's right. And so when I think about recording this podcast and the evolution of the podcast, I know that Corey's going to make decisions that maintain his autonomy and our autonomy over this thing. I can trust that if somebody's interested in talking to us about a sponsorship, Corey's primary thing is going to, in that conversation is going to be like, how are we going to maintain our autonomy? And so if that's something that's important to me, I totally don't have to worry about it. I'm like, cool. I know I, I can trust that that's how Corey's going to behave. And at times, let's say something that's really important to me. I'm trying to think of something that may not be as, as much is like, let's say I really valued partnership and I wanted to make sure our partners really made sure that there was a give and take between us. If there was a really important partner who came into our inbox and Corey was like, cool, guys, I hop in this meeting. I might go, Corey, can I hop on it too? Because I, I know you're really going to make sure you stand for us. And I just want to make sure that this person really feels like we're also going to stand for them. And so it just makes it so we can coordinate better when we understand inherently the places that each other are coming from. Well, that and like when, when you're collaborating with other people who embody their value or values and you trust that person – then you naturally trust their decisions. Mm-hmm. You trust their ability to make decisions aligned with those values. So hundred percent, like, you know, if I were to be the point person for, for negotiating things as it relates to preserving our autonomy, then reasonably we can all assume that I'm, I'm going to make sure that that happens. Right. Versus mm-hmm. partnerships versus whatever. Right. And I think that is a, a huge thing that I don't think is talked about enough when it comes to building a team or collaborating with other people is that assuming you work with people who embody the shit they claim to care about, you can just basically outsource your trust Mm -hmm. to to them and your decision-making to them because you trust them. You you know, you you know that they're going to make the right decision and then you offload all of that mental load. So then you can focus on taking action and embodying your own values within that partnership. 
I know I was, I just was, as you're talking about this, I also think it's a nice plug because I feel like we as, we as humans, well, you you guys can agree or disagree with me, which is like, oftentimes we, we want someone who has like the same values as us. Like that room, when they were all looking at each other and flipping over security, they probably felt a level of connection. And then you, they were like, this alien. Whereas when you think about it that way, if you're living with your values embodied, I actually think it's even more important to think about a leadership team or an organization or a team that you're building to actually embody different values and bring in those different perspectives. Because when I have the sales guy who's coming from a place of prestige and I have CTO coming from a place of stability, it means that more of our bases are fucking covered in many ways. Whereas if I get a whole group of prestige fuckers, like they're just going to be running their mouths and there's like nothing behind them. Not to speak ill of prestige, prestige seekers. Y'all are fine. You guys are doing it just, just okay. But I mean, You're there is empty and devoid of value. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But, um, but, but it is, it's kind of one of those things. Like I remember working, working for agencies and we would have the sales team and we'd often be in, in conflict with the sales team. Cause they'd go off and sell something. They'd come up and they'd be like, we sold this thing. You're like, what did you sell? Because we're like, we're just trying to create some kind of like great, beautiful craft based product. And, but, there, but you need those two things to be happening. You need the sales team to go out there and get that so that then the team can go and build that. And sometimes they will be in conflict. But if you're living within your values, I just think this is a better call for additional and increased diversity and value set. Yeah. yeah, and, Complimentary. And, mm-hmm. and what you're pointing to is teams and collaboration at its worst is we have different values I am blind to that and I don't appreciate Mm. how your values are operating. And therefore I'm in conflict because I can't see what you're doing. And all that I can see is you're not making decisions that are aligned and moving my values forward. Yeah. Teams and collaboration at their best is I understand we have different values. I so appreciate what you value and I know that I can trust you and can outsource you to handle that thing. And I'm in a state of active appreciation and that actually frees me up to go be genius and execute against my value and you're trusting me back to do the same. And so suddenly, instead of being in a, in a downward spiral in a state of conflict, we're actually in an active state of mutual appreciation and an upward spiral to each of us being able to be in our genius, the things that we're best at doing, the things that we all deeply care about. Agreed. I love it. I have one other value story that I want to make sure that we get into that, uh, Corey, you've already pointed to this at the ACT example. Um, The one other time where I think I, without realizing it, ACT'd myself and found values to be extremely helpful were end of 2020. I was director of product and analytics at a startup. This was my last gig before going out and becoming a full-time coach. Um, It was like right before Christmas. We had been going through a diligence process for uh, fundraising and then an acquisition. We were told, hey, the acquisition is not going to go through. And then I got a call, I believe, on Christmas Eve. It was either the 23rd or the 24th of the CEO saying, hey, I need you to sign some papers. We're getting acquired. At this point in my life, this is basically the equivalent of a singularity, right? Like there is an event horizon. There is the acquisition. I have no idea what my job is going to be afterwards. Not even totally sure that I'm going to have a job afterwards. 
I have no idea what the new company culture is like. I have no idea who my boss is going to be. Like, I know nothing. And so I've gone from like leadership role at the startup. I love my job. I love my life to, I literally have no fucking clue what is going to happen next. And as a brilliant, emotionally intelligent, mature future coach would do, I spiraled for about (laughs) seven days. And I remember going for a walk at like a nearby park down by the Hudson river. And the big thing that I kind of asked myself was cool. I, I don't know what I need to do. I can't know what I need to do yet. I can't control the situation. All I know that I can look at is who do I want to be for me and for the people around me as I go through this transition, which is really values. What values do I want to live by? And so for me, another huge benefit of values is we're approaching big transitions that either we chose or we did not choose where it's like, this is really out of our control. I don't have a control. And that can be, I'm a startup founder and I really don't have control of this game or I got let go or I chose to quit my job to find a job that I love. If you're watching right now, my cat is doing it. The cat is in it. The cat is in it. Um, But in these moments where we go into transition and, and there's a lot of unknown Sometimes the only anchor that we might actually have is our values and how we want to value and what we want to be. And so I really think that, that knowing that or getting clear on these can be really, really uh, valuable in the huh. times when our life kind of turns into a tempest or a hurricane and we just, we don't know what is going to come next. And all we can choose is how do I want to show up today and how do I want to show up tomorrow and what do I value? Well, I think that really hits onto like regret. Like if you look back at every decision you ever made that you regret having made, it was probably out of alignment with your values. That is why you regret it. Because if you make a decision aligned with your values and it for whatever reason doesn't work out, that doesn't carry the same level of regret because you're like, well, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be but I am, I'm, I'm glad I made the decision I did because that was aligned with the person I wanted to be and the things that I wanted to embody in my day-to-day decisions and actions. Right? I you also, can't guarantee it's just going to work out. Go ahead. No, I was, you, I got like really fired up right then, which is, I also think that when you look past at past decisions that you regret, I actually think those are powerful indicators that you can actually hone in on moments that you were maybe living in alignment with someone else's values or values that have been proposed to you. So if you have those moments in time that you're like, what are my values? And you're trying to figure out if this is my value or like my parents' value or my loved one's value or something else, it's oftentimes those moments that you make a decision that's not in alignment with your values, it's in line with the shoulds. I should do this thing. I should make this decision. This is the thing to quote unquote do because so-and-so, because they told me so. And so oftentimes I actually think because you still made those decisions, those regret moments, Corey, are like really interesting to hone in on. And you might start to discover, ooh, that was a time that I thought I was making an informed decision, but I was actually making a decision based on other people's information, not my own value aligned decision. Ricky, you're, you're, I was snapping as Ricky was talking. You're, you are spitting straight fire now. And the, the other exercise maybe to play with. So one, if you're listening, look back at regrets in possibly recent history, probably a great pointer to values. I notice over here, there's also a category of moments where I look back and there's like a gut punch. There's like a, oh, that was hard. 
I didn't love that moment, but I, I don't have regrets about it. And those can equally as much be like, ooh, what were you valuing in that moment such that even though it got dicey, even though you got goosebumps and your hair is standing up on its neck, that you're like, I don't, I still don't regret that. And that mm-hmm. can also be a really powerful pointer to what you value. Yeah, we're, cr- this topic, we're crushing it. <laughs> I have one other point, something I recently learned about that I want to, I want to share. Do it. In some of my recent work, this concept of essence, a person's essence and personal essence has come up as opposed to values. That makes me think we're talking about perfume, but I'm here for it. Let's go. Yeah. I'm talking to, I'm, I'm, I've been researching perfume lately. No. Um, when, and the, the definition we have for essence is it's qualities of yourself without which you would not be you. Close to values, not exactly values. I find this really interesting. And I'll use an example similar to Ricky, which is, Ricky, you really value curiosity. I would never tell you that I value curiosity. But if you know me, you know I am like an insanely curious person. Right. Like if if I was not like a voracious seeker and learner, I would not be the person that's here on this podcast. And in that way, essence is very similar to values, right? Value is something that I, I value this. It's really important to me. Sometimes essence for me is like a value, but you can almost be blind to it. Because for me, it's like, I don't, I wouldn't have to, it's insane for me to have to tell you that I value curiosity because I almost just am curiosity. And so this is another kind of fun game you can play if you're just interested in personal development, which is kind of asking yourself, what is my essence? What if I didn't have that attribute or characteristic, would I not be me? It's just ingrained in me. And ways you can go about uncovering this are actually just asking people that question. You can ask people kind of two questions. One, what, when I walk into a room, what qualities just come in with me? The moment I walk in a room, it's just there. The whole room kind of starts to take on this quality. And then secondly, what qualities about me, if I didn't have them, would I no longer be me to you? And just play with it. Well, and I think that it is related to values, right? Because I think the things that make you you in the absence of them don't make make them you make you, you, Jesus Christ, (laughs) when you are forced to live out of alignment from your values, I think you lose your essence, right? Because so me, right? Diagnosed ADHD as a kid, hyper as fuck, inattentive. Not that I, I, I couldn't pay attention necessarily as much as I didn't give a shit what you were saying. I wanted to explore my, I wanted the freedom to explore my curiosity somewhere else. Cause I will obsess like a motherfucker and go for days and weeks down a, a singular rabbit hole. Right now that, that works really well now that I have built my life around optimizing for freedom so that I have the freedom to just go ham on some shit for three weeks, right? And then turn it into something hopefully productive. But when I look back at every time I felt burnout or miserable, it was when I had a job or I was in a, you know grad school or something where I was robbed to some degree of my freedom, of my autonomy. 
right? I remember specifically when I was on internship, they told, they basically told me like, you will dress this way and you will speak this way and you cannot do X, Y, and Z. And because I had to do it, because if you get, if you get fired from internship, you basically get blackballed and you can't get another internship and then you can't finish your degree. Right. So I had to do it. I hated like the closest I've come to clinical depression in my adult life. I fucking hated the entire year, but I had to do it. I felt trapped that entire year because I felt like I had no freedom, no autonomy. I couldn't explore things. I couldn't, you know, do whatever. Right. Nobody who, who met me on internship really knows me because my essence wasn't with me in that room because I, my actions were directly out of alignment to what I valued most. So I definitely think that they're very, very like, it was like now a lot of my shit is aligned with freedom. So when you think about, you know, me in a room, like I'm, I'm just like this conversation, I'm kind of everywhere. I obsess randomly about random shit. And I love sharing things and learning new things and meeting cool people, right? Those are part and parcel to me. Corey, I, I think that's really beautiful and resonates with my exact experience. I did a few internships in college that were like very corporate or, or government, very just like contained. And if you, I don't think a, a big proportion of those people knew me and even the ones who did, it's because they knew me outside of work and most of them would comment and be like, you're something else out here. And so, yeah, I, I think essence, the, that aliveness that comes with it is very closely tied with a life that's lived in alignment with values. What are your experiences, Ricky? No, I'm getting really, I went in a, I'm in a rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm in a rabbit hole over here because I'm actually starting to think about it in a, in a different way, which is I'm starting to think about it in terms of like when you are working in a space that it's not available to embody your values and or essence, how do you navigate that? Because I do think that oftentimes there's a lot of uh, privilege in being able to work in a space that you can be your authentic, true self and that's celebrated and supported and you're being aligned with your values. But I think there's a lot of moments in time that individuals are not given that ability because maybe they're in an internship that there's specific requirements or they're in a career field that they are a different person at work than they are at home. And I really, really, I was just noodling on it in my own head. I was in my own little world thinking about how does that impact oneself? And is and if we're aware of it, how can we work within it? Understanding that sometimes we are going to be working in a space or place that we are not able to be in alignment with our values because of the entities at play. Corey has an answer for us. Well, so I, that's so, what was like coming up for me okay. as you were talking about. It, I was like, okay, let's think about someone who's in that internship position, same as you, but it's it's continued, and maybe mm -hmm. it's because one of their values is security, and so they don't want to do something that rocks the boat. But at the end of the day, it's also you know downplaying some of their essence, or maybe joy, or like fun and playfulness, whatever. That's that's where I was getting stuck on, which is kind of going in a different direction. But I want Corey to tell us what are we supposed to do. So humans are built to adapt, right? We're designed to adapt, right? I'm not talking about like intelligent design shit, just like as a species, we, we are built to adapt. <clears throat> compartmentalization is mm. one simple way to adapt, right? You just, you we compartmentalize. <laughs> we, we, show. we are, we are like, so we can compartmentalize different aspects of ourselves, right? Um, 
that is what most people do to adapt to this very situation, right? Because specific to careers or, or something that is outside of owning your own shit and, and doing your own thing, right? Because when you do that, you still have to do that sometimes, maybe depending on how you've structured your business and like who you work with and things like freelancers have to do that sometimes, you've heard of companies have to do it sometimes. But I work with a lot of like solo-ish people, right? So mm -hmm. there's more flexibility and, and agility. But especially with careers, typically you have like, and that's, that's where this whole term of like professionalism, this idea of professionalism comes into play. You dress a certain way, right? Cause like, even like something as simple as like shark tank, right? I fucking love shark tank. I don't know a goddamn thing about venture capital, but I fucking love shark tank. Okay. One of my favorite shows to watch. You will look at them, you know, on TV and they're all in like fucking nice suits and all this other shit. Right. But then when you see them on their Instagram, sometimes motherfuckers are just in like a raggedy basketball shirt or something. Right. And you could say like, well, you know, they're, they're, at, they're in conflict. It's like, no, they put on, they compartmentalize of like, I'm in professional mode right now. I am on television. I am in this professional role. I'm in the role of an investor right now. Mm. Right. So if you're in a situation that is the most adaptive thing you can do, if you cannot negotiate a way to be more authentic and, and sure. to be more aligned. You just, you compartmentalize. Now that's just allowed cause, to be two separate things. Yes. The, the issue people run into is when they actually just fucking hate what they're doing. So then you're effectively living half of your waking hours. The other half, you're basically a zombie just going through the motions. That is when I would probably recommend you consider looking at a different career or a different job or something, you know, something to that effect. But if you're not outright fucking miserable, one way to adapt to that situation is to just compartmentalize and to say, in this situation, I don't have to embody my values because I'm actually, I actually am embodying my values in that this job allows me to take care of my family. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So, so there like are ways of, of, of developing cognitive flexibility when you're in a situation like that. Ricky, when you spoke, what came to mind for me, yes, everything Corey said. And two things, which is having a totally values-aligned life is a very long-term game, right? Like it's not – it's much more like a chessboard or a game where you have to – you're slowly positioning yourself to it. It's not something where tomorrow you may just be able to leap and have all of the structural components of your life get you there. So one is it's much more of an orientation than a place that you inhabit. Mm -hmm. And even oftentimes, right, we've all been there. Sometimes you get there and then you get knocked out of it because life just does that to you. So values align living much more of an orientation than a position. Yeah, it's much more compass. It's like it's more directional in many ways. You know what I mean? Totally. And then inevitably, right, life will put you in certain moments Right. Where there, there is kind of a, Ooh, I could, maybe I could take a leap here. And then the real question at that moment is oftentimes, what am I willing to put at risk for it? And what am I not willing to put at risk for it? And again, this comes to Corey's values, right? There's a chance where, Hey, I really value my freedom, but that may require I jump into a really risky job and risk some things for my family. And the question becomes, hey, are you willing to put that at risk? Can you have that conversation with your partner? Are you willing to take that risk of a financial setback to make a leap? Or are you not willing to put that at risk? 
And really the best thing you can do in that moment is actually confront that for yourself. What am I willing to risk? What am I not willing to risk? And either take a leap or not and come to peace with it. Yeah, because everything is a trade-off. And like Mark Manson has this <clears throat> quote of like, what's your favorite flavor of shit sandwich? Right? Like you got to eat shit at some point to succeed. What are you willing to sign up for? Right? Tom Bill Yu of Impact Theory, he talks about the struggle is guaranteed. Success is not. So what struggle are you willing to, to sign up for? Right? When you're trying to live a values aligned life, right? Because the reality is, if you don't try to live a values aligned life, you're probably just going to be fucking miserable or you're just going to go through life and you're just going to kind of coast. And then you're going to get to your fucking deathbed and be like, damn, I didn't really live. Right. Everybody dies. Very few people actually live. Right. That's a paraphrase of some, I'm sure fucking Benjamin Franklin quote or some shit. But <clears throat> when you endeavor to go down this path of living a values aligned life, it is hard as fuck. Right. Because sometimes you will have to make significant sacrifices. You will have to make very hard decisions. And sometimes those decisions, though aligned with your values, may either they may not turn out or it's really fucking hard. It's a really fucking hard path. There's there's no such thing as living as choosing to live a fully values aligned life and it being easy the whole fucking time. That just it doesn't exist. Right. So you're going to sacrifice. You're going to struggle regardless. It's a matter of which one is worth it in the long run. And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up is they come to a fork in the road and they say, well, to the left is the path of guaranteed misery, but there's no uncertainty. I know exactly what that's going to look like. Work for 45 years of my life at a job I hate. Enjoy the weekends and the occasional vacation twice, you know, twice a year. And then I'll retire at 65, live another maybe 15, and then die at 80. Like, I, I'm guaranteed that, quote unquote guaranteed, because job security is a fucking lie. The other path is like, well, this is uncertain, but I have the chance of living more in line with my values. It, but it isn't guaranteed either way. Right? Most people, because we fear uncertainty so fucking much, choose the path of guaranteed misery then take the chance of living a more values aligned life because we're so risk averse. We're so afraid of that uncertainty. We just, we gravitate toward what's familiar and that's the issue because you can choose the, the, the values aligned life and it's still going to be fucking hard, but in the long run, which path is going to be worth it? Which decision is going to be worth it in the long run? At least that's my perspective. I think we just got to close on that. <laughs> I think that's it. I think we got to quote it, print it, put it on a tote bag. I would drop my mic, but it is attached. So I can't. <laughs> All right, y'all. Beautiful. It's another episode of No Clear Answers on values. And next week we'll be back with purpose. Toodles. <laughs>